Socialists. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are absolutely thrilled. Ed, I've been waiting for this for so long, our interview finally with John Stossel. Yes, no, this is going to be fantastic as uh, we were chatting a little bit before we got started. And I've been a huge fan for a long, long time since growing up in New York and, and hearing him on, and he corrected me, uh, ABS, uh, CBS was the original channel that he was on in New York City. So, Right, and, and John, I shouldn't even need to read your bio because unless people have been living in a cave, they should know you. But I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll try and do the short version. John Stossel is an American consumer television personality, author, and libertarian pundit known for his career on both ABC News and Fox Business Channel. Stossel's style combines reporting and commentary, and I might say it's incredibly effective. He uses great visuals, great sense of humor. It reflects a libertarian political philosophy and views on economics, which are largely supportive of the free market. So you're right at home here, John. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you very much. John, you went from a crusading consumer reporter who who won 18 Emmys and lots of other journalistic awards to a leading voice in the libertarian movement. How'd that happen? Um, it took a lot of years. And it's 19 Emmys. Don't cheat me out of one. Although oh, they're oh, sorry. stupid, I think. <laughs> they're rewards for... <laughs> cheering on government intervention in the economy. I graduated college like most young reporters, a leftist and believer in the power of the state to fix problems. And because I'm a stutterer, I didn't want to be in the political beat with the people shouting to politicians because I didn't want to humiliate myself stuttering at press conferences. I stayed on this consumer affairs beat and eventually saw that the regulations I was calling for weren't doing any good. And the government would pass laws, and the laws would just make life more complicated, and everything cost a little more. But the, some cheating still went on, and the sleepy bureaucrats either couldn't or wouldn't do much about it. Then I thought, well, I can only embarrass these cheaters, but uh, the trial lawyers, they'll help, because they can, they can punish them and make them pay and make them compensate their victims. And then I watched the trial lawyers run scams. The breast implant lawyers made $2 billion saying silicone implants were causing autoimmune disease. One woman got so scared she took a razor blade to her own breast. And others were filing phony suits on traces of asbestos. When the government discovered that asbestos causes cancer, they were studying the shipyard workers who worked for 
years in what looked like a blizzard. There was so much asbestos around. And even then, they were hard-pressed to really detect a difference between people unless they also smoked cigarettes and were exposed to asbestos. Now these parasites are cleaning, are bankrupting good companies based on tiny amounts of asbestos somewhere and making everyone pay more. And nobody gave a damn. The defense lawyers, I would say, isn't this outrageous? Oh, yes, it is. It's outrageous at all the hours I'm having to spend, but I'm enjoying all the money that I'm making defending against these guys. So they weren't the solution either, and I just kept shopping around. I didn't like the conservative media because they seemed to advocate policing people's bedrooms and fighting even more wars. And then I discovered Reason Magazine, and that was an epiphany. Wow, these people understand markets much better than I do. And Reason is a libertarian magazine, and I realized that uh, that was the philosophy that made sense to me. And then I started doing that kind of reporting and saying, look at the damage government does. And by and large, business is okay. The way to get really rich in a free market economy is to serve your customers well. And there's some cheating going on, but it's pretty small. And now with the Internet, the bad guys get caught (laughs) through Yelp and other review sites. You get found out in most cases if you're ripping people off. And all these laws are a problem. And suddenly I stopped winning Emmy Awards. My colleagues didn't like me anymore. Somebody came up to me in New York and said, Are you John Stossel? Yes. I hope you die soon. Jeez. John, besides reason, were there other, did that lead you into studying other authors like maybe Walter Williams or Thomas Sowell or Frederick Hayek or Henry Hazlitt or something like that? Uh, yes, you pick three of the four I did. I struggled with Hayek. I realize he is the genius founder of classical liberalism but uh, or Austrian economics, but I... I I'm shallow. I think I succeeded in television because I have a short attention span. But Hazlitt and Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell and Charles Murray and he mentioned another good one I just left off. Henry Hazlitt. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's always interests me how people come to, to these ideas because so many... I have found so many people have moved from the left to the right, but you don't see that much going the other way. Going from right to left? Um, well, right. What, what do you call what I did, going from left to libertarian? Is that, uh, it's is that pretty typical. Right? Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, Charles Murray, uh, Thomas Sowell used to be a Marxist. <laughs> uh, when Even when he uh, was a student under Melton Friedman. But... Um, the the uh, you know you talked about regulations and the 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 lawyers and in your book give me a break which was published in two thousand four and it's just, I just think is a masterpiece it really good great biography on you and your personal story but also just some really thought provoking material you you give the example of the FDA commissioner coming out and announcing a new drug you know heart drug say that will save fourteen thousand lives a year and there's not one journalist who will stand up and say does that mean that You've killed fourteen thousand people in the in the year delay, x year delay of, 
approving this drug. And why do you think that is? Why, why, do, we, why do we think the government can do no harm? I don't think people think government can do no harm. It's that they don't think when they hear, oh, it's going to save 14,000 lives. And and we want the FDA to screen what these greedy drug companies put out because they would happily kill us. And, and if it took a bunch of years, well, that's just necessary. So their brain doesn't go to the place where it does take an average 12 years. So... Uh, Every year for 12 years, presumably, if it's going to save 14,000 lives, 14,000 people died because they didn't get the drug. They killed 100,000 people. But it's just not how most reporters think, and I bet even most of your listeners don't think that way. It's, you know, we're weird. It's not normal to think of life in those terms. And people say, well, we've got to have the FDA do it. Because it's hard to imagine what would exist if government hadn't stepped in. But no FDA didn't mean, doesn't mean there would be no drug screening. There would be private groups like Underwriters Laboratories or Consumer Reports or ones we can't imagine that would spring up immediately because people would want some expert to make judgments. Uh, and those testing groups would rate the drugs faster, quicker, cheaper than government ever can. But it would also mean that there'd be some snake oil sellers selling cancer victims and people with heart disease a lot of garbage. But that's the price you pay for freedom. And in the long run, word would get out, more lives would be saved, and we'd spend less for pharmaceuticals. And like you say in the book, those snake oil salesmen and others, they're, they're, they're there already, even with all the government. Um, one of the metaphors I love that you used in the book was you, you know, all these government regulations that you talk about. And, you know, my favorite is the Consumer Product Safety Commission. I mean, this has got to be the ultimate in mamby-pamby, you know, eat your vegetables type agency. You, you give the example of 41, you know, instructions on a ladder for crying out loud. Uh, designed to create this riskless world, and and you say it, it's it's not the nanny state, it's the nurse ratchet state. From once one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and I love that image because it just seems like the regulations have gone way too far to the other side. Do do you agree with that in principle? Oh yeah, of course. And yet my boss at 2020, when I proposed the story on the nanny state, said. I don't think people are bothered by this stuff. <laughs> Maybe that's because they don't have to live under it so much. Although, I don't know, broadcasting is a pretty regulated um, industry. The The other thing that you point out but, in but the book, give me a good point there. It, it, uh, it's a regulated industry, but the reporter doesn't have to deal with the FCC or licensing apparatus. That's and true. most Americans don't. The people who hire me to speak to their groups are often builders, uh, the Home Builders Association, or the the people who try to get through all the local rules. Uh, anybody in business who tries to start something new starts to see how difficult that is. It took me two months to try to open a lemonade stand outside Fox's studios. I couldn't do it legally in New York. But most people just take a paycheck. 
they don't see all the regulations. If you're a teacher or an employee of a sizable company, the company handles the regulations for you. You don't really see it. That's true. That's a very good point. Uh, well, John, uh, unfortunately, we're up against our first break. This is flying by. I knew it would. And, folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of Ed or me, you can send us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com. And you can check out our full show notes. We'll post the links to John's books and um, everything else, our discussion with him at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And yes, we are back on The Soul of Enterprise with our interview with John Stossel. At long last, we've been waiting for this moment, John. So glad you could join us. Uh, you had a piece that appeared on, on Reason's uh, website about uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, on the economic ignorance of Bernie Sanders. And you've covered a little bit of that with, with, uh, with Ron, but I w- want to ask you about that. It's, it's pretty clear from the writings that the, the problem with, with socialism is socialism. And there's a joke that says the problem with capitalism is capitalists. But also uh, the, the problem with libertarianism, is it libertarians? I'm, I'm a full-fledged member of the Texas Libertarian Party, and man, sometimes it just seems like we can't get out of our, get out of our own way. Do you, what's your observation? Uh, a little harsh, but these our ideas are not appealing to most people. It requires an analytical mind. Yeah, and and people just don't have the time, as you said. They just want to own, earn a paycheck or do whatever it is that they do. Right? There's the t- time to think is difficult. It's actually challenging, right? Well, that's true, and it's said that 1% of the people make things happen, and 9% 
watch the people who make things happen. Those are the people who watch cable news. And 90% wake up and say, what happened? And that's good because it shows that you live in a country where you don't have to pay attention to politics. If you live in a country where the government is killing people, you better pay attention. But people have lives and they're paying attention to music and sex and money and their families and their jobs. And most people don't really pay attention. But what galls me is that the people who do pay attention and who have witnessed the stuff that I've seen and learned what I've learned still instinctively want to turn to government. My own wife, I've been beating on her now for 35 years of marriage in terms of no, that's not the solution, even though you read it in the New York Times, but she still resists. You know, it's interesting. One of the first that reports that you did for Reason uh, TV, which I think was about a year ago, right, that you just started working, uh, doing full-time stuff for them, was on saving the, the rhinos. I'm sure you recall that piece. And uh, by the way, the rhinos is the a- animal, not Republicans in name only, by the way, for those of you playing at home. But... Um, in the piece, you confront the environmentalists about the use of the artificial horns, and I have to say, it's one of the few times that I've ever seen you. You really kind of, kind of got perturbed with with her because she 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 just refused to to even process the fact that no, this was a possible solution that was going to save the very animals that she held dear, and I guess she just couldn't get it through. Was that I was that was a really weird moment. It's one of many where they just, you know, even though that would probably save the animals because the artificial horn would take away the demand, much of it for real horns, her thinking is that it has to be a ban, a hunting, total hunting ban. And uh, to allow artificial horn might create a market where people would want more horn. And it, it was <laughs> it's frustrating. And just to correct you a little, I am working with Reason TV, but not exactly for Reason TV. I have okay. my own little production company, and 80% of my views are, are actually outside Reason on Stossel, Facebook, or Twitter, or YouTube. And, uh, but Reason does carry most all of it. Gotcha. And okay, well, Reason. thank you for that. I work with them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there, it's it's a it's a great place. I do a lot of reading there myself. So, um, in a more recent interview that you had with with uh, Jordan Peterson, um, I found it interesting in a way that he, he seemed um, more angry with you than not. He wasn't angry with you when he was on when you were talking to him than he is just absolutely everywhere else. Because every every place else, he's just really seems to be so calm and and takes the slings and arrows that are thrown at him. But do you think this is wearing him down, his whole situation that he's been in? I mean, I, I really love his work, but I, I hope he's not just getting getting pushed down too far because of what's happening. Why do you think he's being pushed down? Um, I, well, I, because he, they're, they're afraid that he's he's making some inroads. There's a piece in The Atlantic that seems to include uh, indicate that he's um, he's making some serious inroads into some of the very people that uh, the the people on the left would would uh, would would like to call their own. Right. So that's the opposite mm-hmm. of being beaten down. I I saw that article too. It says he's succeeding and pissing off the 
identity politics, you don't have a right to speak, folks, is a sign of success. And while they are trying to beat him down, he's a tough guy. I don't think he'll be beaten down. That's good. I, I didn't really mean, I, I meant that he was just wearing down. It, was, it seemed to be getting on his nerves a little bit. But I guess he just felt uh, more free with you to, to, to display some, some anger. Because, like I said, when he is on with other folks, he's the epitome of, of calm and collectedness, it seems. Uh, he's very humorless, and uh, he, he seems angry. And uh, I think he's just tough. Yeah, yeah. So um, another piece that I just love, and, and this happened right around the time when, when you were supposed to first uh, appear on the show in June, uh, you had a, uh, a confrontation, so to speak, with, with the, uh, the, the mayor and, and city council in Edgewater, New Jersey. And we will post a link to that great video that you did about a housing development that um, they are, are not allowing to be built, basically because it, it might be that there's some pe- people who are, don't know the right people. Let's just put it that way. Has there been any update on that since your report in June? It looked like they were trying to move things forward on that. And I'm just curious if you've heard of any, any update on that i have not okay all right well it, it, interesting to see where that plays out because uh you, you really i i think stuck it to them it was good some good stuff there so yeah i um, think they should be voted out or or impeached or put in jail for pete's sake these guys seem to be ruling in favor of one developer over another based on getting favors from that guy. And that ought to just be outrageous to the people of that town. And, you know, it remains to be seen next time there's an election or uh, as the politics turn. But so far, they're just sitting there. Yeah. And which leads me to this question is is the, I, another challenge I think that many people have is seeing the difference between, as you put it, um, uh, capitalism and and cronyism. And I really think that those terms for the almost the mass of people have been conflated. Is that your observation as well? Do you see other things on that? It certainly hurts the reputation of capitalism when it's crony capitalism or crapitalism. And <laughs> it almost always happens that once the insiders are in power, if there are a bunch of rules, they're the ones with the money to manipulate the politicians to protect their business over others. And that's crony capitalism. Probably Silicon Valley created all the amazing wealth it did because the uh, Product genesis happened in the two metropolitan areas in the country that are farthest from Washington, D.C., and they devoted all their energy to creating things. They didn't have any lobbyists. Sadly, now they have the most lobbyists because now the regulators have caught up. But then it becomes crony capitalism if you have to kiss the politician's ring to keep your business going. That's not capitalism. Yeah, and it almost seemed to be what what uh, what what chased Bill Gates away to do his foundational work. It was was the the you know the the, the constant pressure that 
that he and also and Microsoft was getting from the regulators. And I just remember thinking how ridiculous it was that the Justice Department was coming after him for giving giving away a free product and how somehow that hurt consumers. Right. And also, he is of that ideology that we're talking about growing up in suburban Seattle. And, you know, business, oh, yes, it's true, we're probably bad, and I should atone for my billions by by giving money away and focusing my skills on charity. Had he stayed at Microsoft, his business skills were such that he might have created even better things for the world. So he's done a good job with charity work. But very few people can get their brain around the idea that simply growing your business, employing more people, creating a product, uh, even if you just hoard the money in the bank, the bank loans it to people who do good things with it, that in itself is as good for people, better probably than most charities are. Yeah, one of the, the things that just makes me crazy around the, the holidays here is when, when we hear that phrase, giving back over and over again. And, you know, there, of course, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with giving, but this notion that business people have to give back just implies this taking that never happened. Exactly. So why we should say give, not give back. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, w- w- one more thing I j- just wanted to, to ask you about and before the, the next break is um, uh, have you have there's a, a, a great uh, theory that M- Michael Munger, who when he was on our show, talked about and the unicorn theory of government and how uh, you know people people think that the, the unicorn, the, the government is going to solve their problems. And you talked about it a little bit with Ron. But Munger also makes an, an interesting point whenever he talks about that, and he says that we have to we have to worry and and be um, open to the fact that we have sometimes on the libertarian side our own unicorns. The the free market doesn't always work perfectly, does it? And 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 so, it, do you see some room for regulation or some room for government, or are you moving more and more over to the more of an anarchist camp where hey, might might just be better off if if private private industry took completely care of itself? No, I see some room for government. Uh, the market is, is never perfect. There's always some little deficit, and usually it'll self-correct in a free market. I am an anarchist in that way. But there are certain areas where I'm comfortable with the idea the founders said we need uh, defense, and people are uncomfortable with the idea of private mercenary armies, the courts, the cops, it's good. We have rule of law to keep the peace, uh, that your deed to your property means it is your property, and that's honored. Um, the worst places to live are the places where you don't have rule of law, and say an African country where nobody builds a factory because you're afraid that the, your neighbors may just steal what you make, or that the dictator will confiscate your whole factory if it's profitable. So rule of law plus economic freedom is really what creates prosperity and makes life better for people. I would add one other set of regulations that the founders didn't think about, and that's the environmental regulations. That There are ways the anarchists can point out that I could sue you if you pollute my air, but it seems so impractical, and our legal system is so cumbersome, 
that it's better you have a federal and some state EPAs that passed laws requiring cars to be made less polluting, and they insisted on catalytic converters. It would have been better had they just set a lower emission standard and let the automakers figure out the best way to do it. Um, but putting scrubbers and smokestacks, that's good. When I was in my 30s in New York, you couldn't open a window because soot would come in, and now you can. The EPA forced local governments to stop dumping our shit directly into rivers, and now I can swim um, in the Hudson River right next to 8 million people flushing. <laughs> it's safe to swim in. So all that's good. I, I think the EPA now should stand for enough protection already, and and now it's just grown into a behemoth, and the regulators feel they're not doing their job unless they're passing more rules. So that's now a danger, but it does seem to me to be a role for government. But that's government that's 1% to 2% of GDP, and we're at above 40%, so we're a long way from that. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we're about against our next break. I want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where we'll post show notes for this show with our interview with John Stossel, as well as previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S-O-E. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with John Stossel. And John, yeah, I, I love that discussion you were just having with Ed, especially about the rhinos. It made me think about, you know, we hear a lot as, as people that support the free market about market failure. And you guys were talking about the rhino. And, it, it, you know, what I've learned from economists is a lot of times when there's market failure, it's precisely because there is no market. I mean, it's the fact that nobody owns rhinos or elephants that they're becoming extinct because imagine, you know, Kentucky fried chicken is not going to let chickens go. It's extinct. And in your book, give me a break. You talked about fires and it just, it, you know, I'm in California and there's fires out here that are raging, you know, 455 square miles. And like you say in the book, and it's still true to this day, 14, 15 years later, they don't let these companies clear away the brush and, and UC Berkeley issued a study finding that there's 100 million dead trees on this land that's burning. And this is government land. And yet, people are call for more government land. But if Weyerhaeuser or International Paper own this, these forests, there's no way that they would be burning like they are now. It, isn't it just so frustrating that every time there's government failure, there's call, there's call and for more government, more money? It's always very frustrating. And I haven't kept up on that at the time. Uh, the government owned land, they wouldn't clear away the brush. I assume that might have changed since then. It was no longer true that there were many more fires on on federal land than private land, but maybe it's not. You look at the supermarket, it's a miracle. We should thank capitalism every time we go there. We don't because we take it for granted that there are 30,000 products and it's open all the time and the aisles are wide and they rarely poison you and the prices are unbelievably cheap. And we take it for granted that you can go to a foreign country and stick a piece of plastic in the wall and cash comes out. And when you get home, Visa or MasterCard will have the accounting correct to the penny and you'll scream if they don't. By contrast, at election time, government can't even count votes accurately. <laughs> the simplest of things. And yet, surveys show Americans want government to do more with health care, do more with education. Government has to control that. It's complicated. The consumers can't control that. Right, right. You know, one of the things that I love that you, you pointed out, it, we have a mantra on this show that the only antidote to poverty is wealth creation and all of these regulations and all this government interference designed to decrease risk and possibly save lives it and you point out that being poor is the number one killer on the planet <laughs> more so than smoking driving murder fires toxic waste flying all you know disease all these other things and yet People talk really about poverty. You to give me a break. I'm glad. Uh, no, I did. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, but but it just it's so frustrating that people talk about you know wanting to help the poor, but no, when they do that, they never talk about creating wealth. We've lifted a billion people out of poverty in the last decade or so, which is a miracle story of free markets, and yet nobody talks about it. It's like the greatest unreported story ever. Why do you think that is? Because it's abstract. I, mean, I was a consumer reporter. I couldn't cover the person, the four people who were burned horribly by an exploding Bic lighter 
or the person killed in the plane crash. It's dramatic. It's horrible. It's hard to get your brain around how big the country is. And ordinary risks like plastic bags, which kill ten times as many people, we don't do stories on them because, well, they're just plastic bags. It's it's not exciting. And then reporting on that made me eventually see, it took me 15 years to say, wow, the real danger I ought to be warning people about is poverty, because that shortens lives much more than anything else. And in Bangladesh, you have floods and a thousand people die. In rich countries, the floods are just as bad, but nobody dies because you have cars with which to drive away and radios to hear about the floods and dikes to divert the water. Wealthier is healthier. Wealthy yeah, people sure. buy newer cars with newer tires, safer. Same with earthquakes, too. We build buildings up to code so they don't crumble when there's a big quake and, and all of that. No, it's a, it's a great point. It needs to be, so and, you're and you're out there saying it. When you say codes, because if there weren't government codes, probably there would be private codes, and you wouldn't want to move into the building that didn't get the AA rating from Best's insurance service or something. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I think I think the private industry could definitely handle codes, building codes, for sure. Uh, the, the other thing I found really humorous in your book is you, you talk about interviewing Donald Trump, and you said, I told Donald Trump he was a bully when he tried to force who was at Vera Coking out of her home so he could expand his casino in Atlantic City. He replied, nobody talks to me that way. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. Uh, but how would you grade President Trump so far in his presidency? Uh, B minus. I mean, I love so much of what he's doing. And I love it the way he socks it to the left. And I love the deregulation that and the people he's brought in from reason, uh, for example. And the economy growing well, um, but not acknowledging that the tax cuts are increasing a disastrous deficit even more, pushing these tariffs and making utterly ignorant arguments about trade is just infuriating. And it's infuriating that he's such a selfish jerk, such a <laughs> narcissist, such so unable to, to deal with reality half the time and that people love him for that is annoying and a little scary to me that it's it's very truth challenge. I think when he says fake news, I, I'm in agreement often because it's not that any reporter really fakes it on purpose or almost any. It's that all this emphasis on the wrong stuff Oh, someone's injured. Why wasn't there more regulation? Um, that that's fake news. They get it's like a head fake. They get people to worry about the wrong things. Right, right. You know, you also quoted H.L. Um, Mencken in the book. His line, "The urge to save humanity is almost always only a false face for the urge to rule it." <laughs> and I was just mm. wondering. What is your take on climate change? Uh, best I can tell, the, the climate changes. It changes all the time. <laughs> and ours has been warming. We're coming out of 
something called the Little Ice Age. It's getting warmer. Is man increasing it? At first, I was utterly skeptical, and I thought this was another scare story, because what conceit to think little little man with our measly greenhouse gas production could make that much difference. But a lot of good scientists now do say that we are contributing, and it's a lie to say that 99% agree. 99% agree that the globe is warming, and almost that number agree we're playing some part but is it half? Is it 2%? Uh, nobody knows. And worst of all, the stuff they want us to do or that they already force us to pay to do, subsidies for ethanol and so forth, are going to make no difference. China and India are going to continue to build coal plants. America doesn't dominate the world. And you know, eventually, if somebody will make a profit finding a new form of energy beside nuclear that doesn't issue greenhouse gases, and maybe then we can sell it to the whole world and do something about it. But at the moment, it's a lot of hand-wringing over nothing. The Earth won't notice. Do, do you think there's a strain in the movement that, you know, the so-called watermelons, you know, green on the outside but red on the inside, that this is just a form of socialism to be able to tax more? Because it seems like all the calls to, to do anything about climate change is always more taxes. It's never, let's build more nuclear power plants. <laughs> it's always more taxes no, in their government. they're too scared of nuclear waste, but not just taxes, it's also bans. They want to ban plastic straws. And, you know, it's, I don't care if they, I don't get a plastic straw, but uh, that certainly hurts people who are disabled and need a plastic straw, and the paper ones cost more and get soggy quickly. So it's taxes and bans. It's control. It's going back to Mencken. The wish to save mankind is also the wish to rule mankind. Right, right. You know, John, la the last question, we've only got a minute or so, but when you see the popularity of people like Bernie Sanders and now <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I, I totally believe is the person that would result if Chauncey Gardner had a, uh, had a child, uh, if you remember Chauncey Gardner from the movie Being There, Peter Sellers, um, and she's got a degree in economics, by the way, <laughs> which is she really does? frustrating. Uh, she does from Boston University economics and international relations. Uh, oh, when God, you see this, something about those departments at BU. It does, <laughs> doesn't it? It makes me want to stop talking about economics and have an economist on. But when you see all this and the Pew, you know, polling that says, "Oh, the the majority of the young kids support socialism," are you optimistic with respect to liberty and freedom in the future expanding? Never been optimistic. And yet, government grows, yet people keep inventing things like Uber that show people another way. And with luck, the animal spirits of capitalism will outgrow these socialist idiots. Excellent. That That's, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I look at things like the blockchain and Bitcoin, and these are just amazing things that I think are going to 
you know, dramatically alter our lives for the better. But John Stossel, thank you so much for me. Ed's going to take you to the close, but I just want to thank you for appearing on the social, uh, on the soul of enterprise. It's been an absolute honor to talk to you. A big fan. Keep up the great work. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, you can send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and yes we are back on the soul of enterprise with our last 10 minutes or so with the great john stossel john john just curious um you, you were talking with Ron about entrepreneurship and creativity, and and clearly what you do is just a, an incredible, cr- incredibly creative process as well. Um, tell me a little bit about how you work. How does your team, for example, go out and and, and vet stories? You just do brainstorming sessions. What's that process like for you guys? We read a lot and come up with ideas, and when we think one will work for TV's producer or I propose it. And we now have a group of six making a five-minute video every week. We research it, see what we think would be good to videotape. We shoot it. We bring back maybe 20 times as much video as we will use. The producers cut it down to maybe a 10-minute clip reel of the best stuff. And I look at that, and I cut that down to maybe five minutes of the best stuff and do my own writing around it and the producer and I and the editor and I work together then probably doing seven or eight or more sometimes versions of every video. I, when I write the first script, I always say, oh, this is going to be great and 
this will grab your attention, and this will explain that, and it'll work well. And then I watch it, and I think, oh, this sucks. Why would I ever think this was any good? And, and I'm a failure as a writer. <laughs> and then we cut out the parts that don't work, and shorter is almost always better. And then it starts to work, and that's the most satisfying part of the job in the edit room, making those little adjustments that make things clearer and better. And and what do you try to do differently than perhaps when you were working for the larger network, either ABC or Fox? Is there anything significantly different in the process? No, it's the same process. Except now, there's no one at ABC saying, "Yeah, we don't want you know, we don't want that <laughs> another story on school choice." That's not interesting. <laughs> And and how many are you working on at any given time? You say you try to do one a week, which is I, I think that's you it released. Yeah, I think fifty something in last year. So how many are you working on at any any given time? Five to ten. Oh my! And just some not make it at all. You just like that 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 doesn't didn't work at all. By the time we shoot the video, very few um, don't make it. But I mean, if the if the Cato Institute scholar is so boring, then uh, sometimes we'll just have to dump something. Right, right. And and look at, looking back on the, the the last year or so, it what what were some of your favorites? Like the the episodes you produced um, for your production company, maybe in the last year or so. What 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 one just jumps out at you as, or a couple that jump out at you as being ones that you're particularly proud of? One of the first ones, the $2 billion toilet in New York City, uh, the Parks Department had built a four-seater bathroom for $2 million in a park. And to go there and look at it, it wasn't much, and to ask the people, what do you think this should cost? And they would say $30,000. Hey, I'm in the construction business, I know. They couldn't believe it was $2 million. And then to interview the Parks Commissioner, who actually was an acquaintance of mine, and that's probably why he agreed to do it, because I sit on the charity that, that manages New York Central Park. and He'd been friendly and I think watched me uh, when he was younger on TV. And he sat for the interview and he just defended it. He said, well, actually now it would probably cost $3 million because the standards are tougher for uh, a park department because you've got to get community involvement and uh, it's going to get a lot of heavy use. I pointed out that another park in time, near Times Square, Bryant Park, also gets, heavy, gets even heavier use and they did a remodeling job for a few hundred thousand dollars and they said, well, we have different rules and we do put it out for union bids and I believe in unions. And it just was jaw-dropping and to argue $2 million wasn't enough. $3 million. And, nine, and then, <laughs> speaking of millions, at least 9 million people now have watched this. And that's satisfying that people find us and do watch and maybe open their brains a bit. Yeah, no, it's, it, I do re- distinctly remember that piece. That was a t- terrific one. Um want to ask you about something that I know you've done a number of stories on, and that is uh, Ayn Rand. When did you first read Atlas Shrugged? Was it after you had kind of um, t- 
come to libertarianism, or was that something you had read a while ago and dismissed at the time? If I had, I didn't remember. And reading it once mm. I had had my epiphany and Britain give me a break, I discovered this book. My, it was jaw-dropping that 60 years ago this woman could have seen what America was to become and become and to see these regulations and describe them with such uncanny understanding and I find the book a little too long, some of it, but uh, she was brilliant, and many people start to understand these things only because they read Ayn Rand's fiction. That was yeah, what's, in what, particular. Yes, what, what, what constantly surprises me is, is and, and it happens probably on a weekly basis for me, perhaps for you too, where I, I, I read something and said, that that could be right out of Atlas Shrugged. That, that could, she was so prescient in in what she, what she saw, especially with regard to like you know um, anti dog eat dog legislation and things like that. Even the names of the legislation that she came up with, uh, it's it seems to be be uh, becoming a reality. Often, I mean, the fact that the self driving car was stopped by so many states, but fortunately we have competition state by state and the ones that that banned the research were losing entrepreneurs and money and some of them reversed their bans right no and that, that that's a that's clearly a good thing well before we go just wanted to ask you what uh, are we going to get another book from you or are you going to concentrate mostly on the videos what are your, what are, what are your thoughts for the, your future concentrating on the videos Okay. Okay. Well, we we hope you you continue in the long run on that. Uh, the, you do, do such a great job with them. We're going to post many of them, especially those that we've referenced um, on our site going forward. So um, we we certainly wish you well in the future. So thanks for being a guest today. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Good to talk to you guys. Bye. All right. Thank you, John. Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Wow, that was great, Ed. Uh, well, uh, again, another guest I am really excited about. Been a longtime fan of this gentleman, Mark Skousen, Ed. Yes, fantastic. Really one look my, forward to it. One of my favorite. Only people uh, want to talk to me agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, you probably interviewed Mark Skousen at some point. <laughs> since he runs Freedom Fest. But, uh, yeah, we're really excited to have him on and, and talk about some of these things. So that's what we're uh, doing next week, Ed. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out thesoulofenterprise.com for more information on the show today with John Stossel. Also, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.